little meeting between John Harbaugh and Brock Purdy after the game. It's amazing. He would tell us we look alike. It's amazing. I mean, there, it really is. There was, a tweet, there, there was a tweet that I can't remember the exact wording, but it was kind of funny and it was kind of wrong uh, about basically abandoning his son and then beating him on Christmas 23 years later. But they, they really, I, I remember you the doorstop remember, with somebody and now I'm going to whoop your ass on Christmas <laughs> and ruin that. But, but, but remember when Purdy started playing last year, we had that moment of who does he look like? Who yeah, does he look like? Right. He looks like some. Somebody looks like John Harbaugh. There was a few other people involved, too. But the John Harbaugh thing is, like, incredible. I was showing my wife during the game on Monday night just going, like, you know, there's this whole thing. I was kind of telling her. She's like, what do you mean? Like, pull up the pictures or whatever. So I pull up the and She's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then, you know, you keep deep diving. There was a few on social media where they have the, the head split, right? And one side's Purdy and one side's Harbaugh. And, I mean, it almost it almost matches to make a, a, a complete person perfectly. Uh, so it, it really is funny. And, and they both kind of handled it really well. And I know that wasn't easy for Brock Purdy to smile there well, in that moment. But he'll be all right. It was obvious by that interaction who won the game. Yeah, there's exactly no way in hell right. John Harbaugh <laughs> right. is smiling like that right. and saying people tell us that we look alike. Exactly. So, and if exactly. he really wanted to twist the knife, he could say, but you know the difference between you and me? I never threw four interceptions in a game. <laughs> so uh, he, didn't, he didn't say that, or if he did. There it is, he, Mike. Look the at the that. Microphone. That's crazy. Oh, gosh. That's crazy. It's like literally like Purdy just like, hey, we're just going to make you a little older and add a, you know, a 5 o'clock shadow on your face a little bit. Uh, it, it, it's incredible how similar they look. It really is. And, and, and let me tell you, I don't say this in an effort to get back in good graces because I do think at some level John Harbaugh appreciates what I said last week. Oh, I think he really does. But, <laughs> but that guy's 60. That guy's 60. I mean, he still looks like he could he could put a helmet on or just or just run out on the field with no padding whatsoever and beat the hell out of somebody. Yeah, I, hey, he looks better than you and you're 58. So, I mean, you're right. He looks really damn good compared to you. You're right. <laughs> you Thanks. left you know, yourself I to open for that guy one. You have to take a crap <laughs> yeah, right on You left on yourself me. open for that known. one. Sorry. Merry <laughs> Christmas. I should have known that even during Christmas week I wouldn't get any dispensations from you. <laughs> All right. So, the 49ers are left to pick up the pieces after the loss to the Ravens, four interceptions from Brock Purdy. Kyle Shanahan met with the media yesterday talking about the decision-making by Purdy that contributed to the outcome. Here's a little question. Here's a little answer from Kyle Shanahan. Kyle, last night after the game, Brock Purdy talked about how it's difficult for him to take a punt instead of trying to make a play. How do you find the balance when you're talking to him about, you know, trying to make a big play, but also then, you know, saying, okay, it's okay for me to throw the ball away and then take a punt? Um, I mean, that's something you talk about all with quarterbacks all the time. Um, Brock, he's been one of the better ones I've, I've ever been around it, when to take the big play and when to check it down. And um, then he made one real bad decision on that last night. And, look, Shanahan said after the game that, you know, one was bad, and then there was just, like, crap happens. Ball pops up in the air. Guy hits you as you're throwing the ball. What can you really do there? So he never abandoned ship with Brock Purdy like he did. We talked about this yesterday. When Jimmy Garoppolo freaked him out against the Vikings in yeah. the divisional round, three passes that should have been intercepted, only one was. 
okay, we're just going to run the ball all the time now. You're just not you're just not doing this to the standard. We'll just run the ball. We can do that. And they overpowered the Vikings, overpowered the Packers. And then by the Super Bowl, Garoppolo was allowed to throw it again. He never showed any sign of wavering in his faith in Brock Purdy. I think that's the the best news to come out of that. There, yes. there isn't a notion from Kyle Shanahan that Brock Purdy is broken in no, some way. That's right. That's right. Right. We kind of hit it on it yesterday. There, there's difference. There's context. There's nuance. Not all his interceptions are created equal. Right. You know, again, we showed some of the Nick Mullins ones, you know, throwing the ball just into the chest of the Bengals receivers. Right. That, that's when you're concerned. This is the concerning one. That's the only bad one of the night. Again, he doesn't see Kyle Hamilton on the backside there. He probably has the second post on the right of the screen to Ayuk for a touchdown there. This is a great defensive call and an incredible play by Stevens and, of course, a credible interception by Humphrey. Here, again, you know, great coverage by the Ravens. Nobody's open. Purdy's trying to make a play backyard style just to get something going. Let's see if I can get a first down. Tries to get the ball into a tight window. Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey, hey, the Ravens got ballers too. He makes a play, knocks it up in the air. Uh, so that's unfortunate. And then as we know, the one after this, yeah, the right tackle gets just absolutely lambasted by, by Travis Jones. I mean, just runs him over and hits his arm as he's going to get a completion to Christian McCaffrey. So, yeah, those are as a play caller and, and as, as a guy who evaluates quarterback stuff, right, and Shanahan – He's not coming – he doesn't have the quarterback coming to the sideline going, oh, man, he's flustered. He's not seeing the field the right way. This is dangerous. So, therefore, he didn't have to adjust the attack. Where I do think they'll have to learn is, you know, they're spoiled out there in San Francisco. They never have to take the foot off the gas pedal on the offensive side of the ball. They're used to just, we have our way, run game, pass game, boom, 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 screen game. We go up and down the field. They met their match in a, guy, in a team that could – physically hang in there with them and a defensive coordinator who could match wits with Shanahan a little bit. And that's where I think Purdy and Shanahan will have to adjust a little bit in that, Hey, you play a team like this, you might have to be a hair less aggressive. You might have to go, Hey, this is a day here where we're not going to be able to score 30 or 35 points. Might have to dial it back a little bit. You might have to take a sack and throw it away every now and then. And that's where maybe Brock Purdy can learn you know, for the future here, if he's got to play the Ravens in the Super Bowl or a defense like it somewhere down the stretch here. It makes the prospect of that Super Bowl rematch oh. compelling. Right. A week after I said, if that's a Super Bowl preview, it's going to suck. No, it's going to be pretty damn good. And it's going to be a lot of pressure on the Ravens to duplicate what they did. Less pressure on the 49ers. I wonder what the betting line will be if it's 49ers-Ravens six, seven, eight weeks from now, whenever that game is going to come, February 11. I don't know how many weeks it is, but I do know the date, February 11 in Las Vegas, if those two teams qualify. It's going to be a fight for both of them to get there. A little easier maybe for the 49ers, although after Monday night, who knows? Maybe it's a little easier for the Ravens after what we saw on Monday night. The narrative is going to shift, though, once the season ends, back to this question of whether or not the Ravens, you know, if they get the one seed. Can they cash in again, yeah. or do they go one and done like they did right. four years ago when the Titans came in on a Saturday night? After we watched in person Vikings 49ers that night, Titans manhandled the Ravens, and that was it for the one seed in 2019, the last MVP year for Lamar Jackson as he's looking at his second MVP season. Ravens looking at their second one seed. Can they cash in I would in be in shocked, Mike, just 49ers. to piggyback off of that real quick, just real quick, if you don't mind, just like – that 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 would shock me if the Ravens were a one and done team. 
You know, I think that's why they made the adjustment they made this year as far as offensive coordinator receivers. You know, I, I think that's why maybe they were a little stubborn and throwing the ball too much throughout the year. Right, they're not going to get into the playoffs and go. Wait, our run game doesn't work, and now our offense isn't the same. They got some more avenues in which they can beat you now with this offense dropping back, throwing the ball the way Lamar's playing. To where now, okay, you stop the run game, all right, but you're probably in trouble in the pass game and playing too aggressive run defense. And now, watch out for Lamar in the big plays. I feel like that's where they're different than years past, and where they certainly could be, you know, more dangerous for for playoff football. I was curious about this yesterday because we hardly heard his name during the game. Odo Beckham Jr. had two catches for 13 right. yards in that game that they won 33 to 19, and uh, they'll need more from him in the playoffs. And look, we don't know how that tree is going to shake out, but there is a scenario where divisional round is Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns coming to Baltimore be to take on the Ravens. Incredible. So the fact – I think that's one of those where the fact that the Browns won during the season gives a little extra – you know, I think the danger for being the one seed is you maybe get a little complacent. Yeah. You've got a team coming in that you know you're better than. They've just played a game, though, in the postseason and won it. Yeah. They're feeling confident. They're fresh. Remember, hey, look, if they lock up the one seed this weekend, if the Ravens beat the Dolphins, remember four years ago, they they took all the starters out for the final game of the season. Yeah. So they ended up having three weeks between games that right, mattered. Right. And sometimes it's hard to, 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 to get the, the foot engine. on the gas. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. You're, you're playing a team that most likely had to win and go all out week 18 to get in and then had to win the next week. There, you know, it's like a boxer. One's ready. One's got the sweat going, and the yeah. other one's standing there flat-footed. Right, right. So the the talent difference isn't that great between the teams that you can just turn it on whenever you feel exactly. like it. So it'll be an interesting question. What do they do with the Steelers? The Steelers are coming to town week 18, and they've got the one seed clinched. Do they back off and give their guys three weeks? Or does John Harbaugh say, hey, look, we learned this the hard way in 2019. One of the reasons we weren't ready to play the Titans is we had too much time off. We have to accept the risk of injury and go play these guys and keep them fresher than they would be if it's three weeks. So that's coming yep. if they beat the Dolphins on Sunday and clinch the one seed. The 49ers, they have beefed up the defense a little bit. Sebastian Joseph Day, a captain for the Chargers, cut recently, passed through waivers. 49ers add him, which makes sense. They've had a lot of injuries to the interior of that defensive line. Chris. Yeah, I, th- this is one of those where it was like, First off, peculiar. The Chargers just cut them the way they did. Second off, uh, you know, I think I you know said this to some of our producers when this happened last week because I think we were going to do our our podcast that day. But it's like it had the feel of guy knows there's a place or two where he could go here and and jump onto a contender, right? It wasn't like oh this play is so bad. Maybe the play not perfect for what they want out there with the Chargers, uh, but it sounded like there was more to it there. And, yeah, look at this. I mean, yeah, some injuries there, but still that D-line we know is still incredibly deep. And to add another big defensive tackle to the mix here, you know, like you said, Hargrave's been dealing with some injuries and I think just got back from, what was it, the hamstring maybe? Eric Armstead didn't even play the other night because of a foot injury he's been dealing with. So 
not only depth, but insurance here and get a really good player who is going to fit this system. And yeah, that's quite the signing by the 49ers to add that at this point of the year. And some might look at this and say, well, it seems unfair. The rich get richer. Here's how it works. After the trade deadline, any player who's released, no matter how long they've been in the NFL, has to go through waivers. Every team had a shot at Sebastian Joseph Day. All you have to say is, we'll put in a waivers claim, and you keep him from going wherever he wants to go. That didn't happen. Now you'd have to take on the balance of his salary, but just a couple weeks left in the season. Who cares? If if you're doing this strategically to say, okay, we're going to add to our rotation defensively, and we're going to keep him from going to the 49ers or wherever else we think he's hoping to go and stacking the deck for that team. So the Ravens could have taken him. The Rams could have taken him. The Eagles could have taken him. The Cowboys could have taken him. Any team out there could have claimed Sebastian Joseph Day on waivers, and then he he becomes a free agent. Once you clear waivers, you go wherever you want. He wanted the 49ers. 49ers wanted him, and they shore up one of the areas. It's been a weakness on a very good defense. That's been one of the weaknesses due to the injuries. Yeah, no, it, it is, and we'll see. He's, he's, he's a good player, and if they can just get all the way healthy up front, we know how dangerous they could be. They basically have two starting defensive lines, but, yeah, they've been having to mix and match people up the middle there, and, you know, I think this does a lot of good for their team overall for the playoff push here. After the Cowboys lost to the Dolphins in Miami on Christmas Eve, Coach Mike McCarthy declared that the team will just be war- road warriors if they have to be in the postseason. The problem is they just lost on the road. They have not proven that they can be road warriors. This is the ultimate we-need-to-be-at-home team. Here's McCarthy on getting his Cowboys to the point where they need to be as the postseason approaches. I mean, I like to think that we we've been – focused that way all year I mean we you know we've been talking about getting to 11 wins we're still we're still not there and that's why I think just the the 11th win and um, obviously we understand what our opponents fighting for this week you know and I I think it creates a lot of you know a lot of juice for this game coach Jimmy Johnson's going into the ring of honor so I mean this is this is going to be a great contest that we 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 look forward to and um, and it's just like any, you got to take care of what's in front of you. We can't control what goes on in Philadelphia or these other places, as we know. So uh, we just want to be better than, you know, we want to be much better than we were last week. Uh, that's the reality of this. But, there, you know, there's a lot of good things that, you know, occurred in Miami. You know, I, I thought the way we flew around and, you know, improved on some of the things from the prior week. So uh, still an opportunity to grow, get better. Um, you know, we're complimentary football pieces are intact. And, uh, you know, and I think we're, we're heading in the right direction, big picture-wise, but this is a great challenge that we have in front of us. You know, I may be wrong here, but when I listen to him and watch him, he seems like a guy who knows no matter what they do, they're going to be the five seed. That these last two games don't don't mean anything. They're going to be the five seed. Yeah, I think he's expecting Period. that. Right. That's number why he makes the road number of wins comment. doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 Number number of wins does not matter. What matters is what spot do you land in on the playoff tree? They still have a chance to win the division, but they need the Eagles to lose to the Cardinals or the Giants. And I guess they could, but he's accepting what seems to be the reality here. They they these last two regular season games don't mean that much for Dallas because the chances if we're going to focus on analytics and percentages, the chances of them ultimately winning the division and getting that home game, a couple of home games in the playoffs, if they're the two seed, it's, it's, it's not realistic. But I still think his team's going to be ready to go. Primetime game, Saturday night, Lions coming to town. They're going to go out and they're going to play hard. But 
I think there is an acceptance and an understanding by the organization at this point. It's going to be hard to win the division. Yeah, that I, that was the thing they really wanted, and it's going to be hard for them to do it. They 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 either way have to get the mojo going in a positive way here. They don't want to go into the playoffs and go, well, we lost the three playoff teams here, but now we're in the playoffs and we'll we'll beat the three playoff teams, right? That that's hard for the psyche of a football player. So they better play hard, and you know. To, to your point, like, you're more than likely, we know the Eagles have went out, but the Eagles are, you know, they, they're kind of like in that do dumb crap mode a little bit and, and have to get that sickness out of their, their blood a little bit as we talk about with teams every now and then. I mean, again, the other day, I mean, they're, they're going to blow out the Giants and they run into each other like you talked about, the Keystone Cops, the pick six. You know, they've kind of let a lot of teams hang around uh, that shouldn't have hung around all year. Two close games to the Commanders. I mean, lost to the Jets. So that's where, if you're Dallas, you want to keep playing too. But, you know, Dallas is a football team. There's some good things, as we know. Uh, get back to what I always talk about, and you kind of used this word yesterday a little bit. It, it, it's, it's work for their offense, though, when they have to play good defenses. That, that's the thing I look at. Right, and that's to me is what's scary about them. You know, of course, it's unfortunate they had the fumbled, the, you know, fumbled the first drive of the game, giving it to a fullback who never carries the ball. But here we are in a big game in a big moment. Let's give the guy the ball that never gets the ball in one of the biggest moments of the year. I hate that call more than any in football. You know that. That's not revisionist uh, history. There, I hate that call. Well, don't give the ball to the guy that never gets the ball in the biggest moment of the game or not, you know, down by the goal line in a big moment of the game and do that. I hate that. But either way, there's just, you know, the the passing offense, as you've heard me say, is pretty simple, right? It's just relying on plays, and they struggled the other day to be consistent as far as moving the ball down the field. They can't just run on people at will. So that is not conducive necessarily to playoff football. And defensively, we, we see, too, that, you know, again, the, people can run the ball on them. The Dolphins are not exactly like a smash-mouth football team. When they wanted to run the ball on Dallas the other day, they did it enough to where it kept Dallas honest and they could still throw the ball and move the ball that way. And, yeah, Dallas is good, but just, you know, I, I look at Dallas and – of course, I don't see Super Bowl in their future by any stretch of the imagination. They're favored by six on Saturday night at home against the Lions. They match up what, good with the what Lions. Do you think this, what do you think the spread would be if this game were at Ford Field? Oh, I would think Lions two, two and a half. Yeah, maybe even closer just because of that element altogether. But but there are some things that match up. Now, what do you worry about is because Detroit just smash mouth and run the ball down their throat, right? But, you know, Detroit does not have speed guys at receiver. They should be able to play man-to-man against this group. And then Detroit's defense, as we know, it's not good. It's not. And that's where Dallas could certainly get in the shootout with the Detroit Lions and and win this football game. And that's why, you know, the NFL is awesome. Like you said, you know, it's a matchup league. And just because you're, you know, better in a team totality, the difference in talents is just it's so close in this league that one mistake, wrong matchup, whatever, and you're in a dogfight. The key to defending the Lions, get them to third down, easier said than done, because they've got the weapons to continue drives 
without ever facing third and long. Yeah, they're awesome. They, they, between right. Jameer Gibbs and Run David the ball, Montgomery screen the ball, play action passes. Boom, boom, right, boom. exactly. It's, it's too much on those first and second downs, like you said. The defense is like, they can attack us every way. Third down, you get them there, and you go, okay, they're in the shotgun, and we know they're going to throw the ball. So there's not too many tricks they can go with here. And you're right. That is certainly one of the keys. And then we know Jared Goff, pocket collapsing, people around him, not necessarily his best either. Definitely a key to, to success. You're spot on there if you want to beat the Lions. And a little history in that game, too, before we take a break. The Lions' last playoff win, oh. 1991 season, over the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, maybe they'll cross paths again in the postseason. They got screwed there. The last playoff game, they went there and beat. Remember, they had the pass interference call that got called, then they picked it up. And then the next week, Dallas went to Green Bay and got screwed over by the Des Bryant play. And then Green Bay went to Seattle and should have blown them out to go to the Super Bowl and let them come back and win the game. And then there was the Brady and Malcolm Butler and all that. It was an amazing playoff run that year. Back when the NFL actually embraced transparency as its officiating function, yeah. Dean Blandino, the day after that game, was on PFT Live explaining what happened. There was a play where it was both interference and holding. Exactly. And it wasn't called. Right, right. And, and, and they actually had kids. Kids, I'm going to tell you a story about days gone by. The NFL at one point actually had somebody employed by it that they would put on shows like this to explain in a very transparent and open and persuasive way why things were called a certain way and would actually acknowledge mistakes. Imagine that. Imagine that. There was a world like that once upon a time for the NFL. That world is no longer uh, part of our, our reality as we cover the NFL. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Power rankings time as we enter week 17. We'll have that next for you here on PFT Live. Kickoff return at the two, left side, over the five, 10, 15, 20. Pierce still going, 25, 30, out to the right side, 40, 45, 50, to the right sideline, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, rock and roll, coast to coast, Damian Pierce, and this place has exploded. Here's the snap on first down from the 22, Mayfield throws toward the end zone, caught ball, Mike Evans, touchdown Tampa Bay, Evans has two today. Christmas, Michael. Here it is, four seconds to go. Taylor, it's back. Taylor is looking. He steps up. He starts to pump. He starts to run. He is diving around. He is loading up. He is firing, and it is intercepted by the Eagles, and the game is over. Truly more drama than I need oh, right now my in my life. You didn't need this much drama. Clock will start on the snap. Mullins takes the shotgun snap. He's back. Mullins looking. Pressure comes. Stepping up. Looking. Throwing deep downfield. It is picked up by the Lions. Intercepted. Coming back the other way. Ifatu Malafanwu. This is going to be over. Lions are going to win it. Lions are bringing the NFC North title back to Detroit. You don't appreciate how bad of a throw that was until you see the interception as the ball's coming in in slow motion. Oh, like, it was a total quack. Not even close to a spiral. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it totally exploded. Thank you, out thank of, you, so, thank yeah. you so much for making that the Yeah, uh, way to end that there, guys. Sure how, do you feel, do how do you feel that the Lions went into your stadium and won the NFC North? Man, look at that. Just totally I, disrespecting I, you. Know, you. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, I really, I really don't care. I really don't care about things like that anymore. There would have been a time where I would have been pissed off for a week after something like that. Don't but, say uh, you yeah, don't, I don't care I don't, about it anymore. Stop saying that. Challenge I flag. I could bring up text messages. You were sitting on the edge of your chair with every damn move of that Vikings game. You were barooing me to death when every time something good happened. I was just having fun. No, I you were dissecting that game. I was just giving it to you. Yeah. That was that was you picked the Lions, I picked the Vikings. It was far more important to me to pick up a game in our competition than it was for the Vikings to actually win the game. I, I know what this year is going to be for them. They're not going to make the playoffs, and if they do make the playoffs, they're not going to last very long. We want teams in the playoffs that are going to give us compelling, exciting, dramatic playoff games with a lot of great stuff to talk about. On the other side. All right, it's time to talk about the power rankings as we enter week 17, presented by our friends at Toyota. I did not have a giant Toyota truck with a big bow on it, to my chagrin, out in front of the house on Christmas morning. Maybe that's coming for New Year's Day. I don't know. I wanted a dog, too. Didn't get a dog. 0 for 2, but that's fine. Ravens 1 for 1 on Christmas night. They are the new number one team in the National Football League. We hinted at this yesterday, and I think you were a little surprised that I did not simply drop the 49ers to two. But I'm sorry, you lose double digits at home as the one team, you're going to drop more than one spot, especially when the Dolphins just beat the Cowboys in a game that felt like a playoff game. Hell, it felt like a mini Super Bowl. It was just it was excitement oozing from that game. Dolphins get the reward. They're number two. And, yeah, it sets up one versus two for the second straight week. We had Ravens 49ers. Last week, Ravens 2, 49ers 1. Now we've got Ravens 1, Dolphins 2. And you know what, Chris? That game's at 1 o'clock Eastern. Oh, my god! I just gosh. assumed they moved it to 425. The game, this week's game of the year, kicks off with all the other 1 o'clock games. Ten games at 1 o'clock this week. Ten games, right? Like, I, I hate that. I, I'm really frustrated by that. It's going to be hard to keep track of it all. I do disagree with your 2 and 3. I still would keep kept the 49ers at two and the Dolphins at three, right? I know the Dolphins won and all that, but by the skin of their teeth, right? You know, the week before that was the Jet game that, hey, they let the Jets hang around a little for a while. And then, of course, we know Zach Wilson got hurt. The week before that, they lost to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, it was just a few days ago where you were saying, don't even play the rest of the season. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl and they're going to win and it's no point in even playing the game. So I think for the body of work, I still would have left the 49ers too. But I, I understand, you know. I understand your thought there. I do. I do. So uh, that's okay. What about like five through eight there that or even five through nine? How hard was that part? Was there any thought of maybe putting the Browns in front of the Cowboys and uh, in, in, in doing that? Or did you feel Cowboys in front of Browns all the way? I, I thought about that. Where else did I struggle? I struggled putting the Browns in front of the Rams because the Rams beat the Browns, but the Browns have a better record. Yeah. That's a lot of the blowback that I get. If I have a team just in front of a team that beat the other team, oh, well, wait a minute. Hey, the Rams beat the Browns. Well, but they don't have the same record. Yeah. And There's it was something Flacco's to be said. first game I mean, it's starting. not all driven by record. Right. Right. It's not all driven by record, but if you've got one team that beat the other team, and that team has a better record. That's a factor. How you're playing now has a factor. That's why the Bills are in the top four, even though they've yet to clinch a playoff berth and might not. Who knows? The odds are in their favor right now. But they're one of the best teams in football right now. It would, and they're ahead of the Eagles. Yes, I'm sorry. The Eagles beat them 
right, in a classic game that went down to the wire, went to overtime. Did the Eagles win that game? Yeah, Eagles the Eagles won that game. Won, that was right. one of their yeah. – that was the – that was the – whoa, that was close before the three-game losing streak. Right. But, yeah, the Bills are ahead of them now. The Bills, the Bills are right now better than the Eagles. So there's a lot. There's no. There's no math that goes into it. The math is paying close attention to everything that happens every week of the year, every game of the year, all the way down to the end. You get just a visceral sense of where the teams fit together. There isn't a formula for it. The formula is you watch the games, you look at how the teams are doing, who's hot, who's not, who's playing well, who isn't, and I think playing well late in the year. Has a little extra can, value. I, I just, I, I've never articulated that before, but I think there's extra value in playing well late in the year, as evidenced by the fact that there are the Bucks on the fringes of the top ten. I almost put the Buccaneers ahead of the Chiefs. Well, I almost did. That's that. the next thing I wanted to ask. Have the Chiefs ever been ten? When's the last time the Chiefs have even been ten in the double digits? Can you remember? Is it back when early early season Mahomes rookie year, or you know, first year as a starter? I certainly don't remember you ever having 10. It would have been 2017 when Alex Smith was the starter. They had a, a point middle of the season where the offense was in a funk and some someone on this program was saying, why don't you just put in Mahomes? Because Travis Kelsey had been on the show saying, this guy's doing incredible things in practice. Well, the offense was really, really struggling, but they stuck with Alex Smith. I'm sure at some point during that season, they would have been out of the top 10, even though they rebounded and made the playoffs in 2017. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting to see what the Chiefs do here down the stretch. They, they have not been in this position in the Mahomes era. So it's going to be uh, you know, fun to watch how they finish the year and then, of course, see what they do in the playoffs. Um, I, it, it's crazy looking at the power rankings, too. Like, I sit there, and, you know, you talk about you know, how they're playing right now and all that stuff, too. I, I mean, man, you look at the Rams, and I know their record isn't the Cowboys, but, gosh, Cowboys versus Rams right now? I, that, I'd be thinking about I'm not sure who I'm going to take. The Rams are one of the hottest teams in football. So good for you to have them crack the top 10. And, yeah, not easy, like, because of that balance like you're talking about. Yeah, you know, didn't play great early on in the year. We're finding their way. But the way they've played the last five or six weeks, it's it's up there with the best teams in football. Uh, and it's tough to kind of to place them there with, with, with the group they're in. I always have a soft spot for the underdog. Yeah. I always want to root for the team that's expected to lose, except when it's the Ravens against the 49ers. Apparently, maybe I should have taken my freaking advice last week. Regardless, the, the Rams this year are so much more fun than they were two years ago when it was all Rams, 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 Rams. They're going all in. They're trying to win the Super Bowl. They're the front runners. This year, they're the team that was overlooked, forgotten. They're still paying the bills for everything they did to win that Super Bowl two years ago. And now they're right back in the thick of things. They are the team that no one is going to want to play in January. Not even the 49ers. You don't want to play a team from your own division in the playoffs. They know you well. They played you twice this year. They played you twice last year. They know all your tricks. They know what you do. You know them, but they know you. It evens out the talent gap if you have familiarity with that team. You're not intimidated by going to their stadium, for example. None of those teams, Eagles, Cowboys, Lions, 49ers, none of them are going to want to see the Rams. Well, that's what's scary. And the Rams could get hot. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what's scary a little bit for the 49ers when it comes to where they are right now, right? I think if you're the 49ers and and their perfect world, they, you know, you'd hope, hey, okay, 49ers beat the commanders this week. We think that should happen. But 
in their perfect world, they, they, of course, I would think want the Rams to beat the Giants this week and then the Rams to be in the playoffs when they play week 18, right? I think that would be the perfect thing because what I look at for Shanna and the 49ers and the scary scenario is, oh, no, like all the things you just mentioned, week 18, we got to play the Rams to win home field in the one seed, right? And the Rams, there's something they're playing for as far as seeding or being in the playoffs in general. And now that game has a lot of meaning. And like you said, it's a coaching staff and people that know us and they're a hot, dangerous football team. And we already just talked about in the last segment, if there's a weakness with the 49ers right now, it's their D tackles and people have been running the ball on them a little bit. And then this is a team that's the hottest running team in football. That could be scary for the 49ers and certainly could end up upsetting who gets that first round by and something to watch out for uh, this weekend to see how that plays out. Hey, and I don't. If the 49ers have the number one seed locked up and they can knock the Rams out in week 18, I say do it. Always knock out a team from your division if you can. You don't want teams from your division in the playoffs. You don't want to come across that team that knows you better than anyone else. Now, this year, I don't know. Is it different? I don't know. I don't know. They were up 10 against the Rams week two, and the Rams kicked that meaningless field goal to cover the spread, which was kind of fishy and kind of weird. They beat the Cowboys 42-10 to week five. They beat the Eagles 42-19. to I don't know how much the 49ers fear any of the teams in the NFC. Just generally speaking, I would say if you can get a team from your division out. You do it. And the 49ers, if they lock up the one seed, they're in that same predicament that the Ravens could be in. Where, okay, we're going we're to pull our starters. We're going to shut it down for week 18. And then we have our bye week. And then we're three weeks between games. And somebody's going to come in here feeling pretty good about themselves because they made it to the playoffs and they won a wild card game. And now and now we're flat-footed and we're not ready. I, 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 yeah, I, I'd like to think the 49ers are impervious to that. But after Monday night, I'm not ready to say they're impervious to anything. I'd say get the Rams out, Chris, if you can. Well, I, I, I hear your thought there, and I, I, I would be for that too. And I am one that, you know, week 18, like we talked about, the greatest thing I've ever seen in football is the Patriots for the first 20 years of this century. And when they were in those scenarios, right, where we knew they had the first round by, they played that last week of the year for all the reasons you talked about. It's too long of a layoff to not play the last regular season game, have a bye week, and then restart the engines and think we're going to hit on all cylinders right away against a team that's going to be coming into town hitting on all cylinders. You explained it perfectly last segment. Uh, that's what they got to be careful for. So, yeah, you'd like to do that, but you don't do it to sacrifice. Hey, listen, if you got the one seed locked up, You'd like to get the Rams knocked out, but you're a beat-up football team. you got to do the greater good for the football team. Uh, I understand that. But, yeah, I'm more in favor of playing and, and some of the thoughts you had there as far as knocking out the uh, division foe. And for those of you who are curious about the second half of the NFL, we'll give you a quick look. You can see the full rankings at ProFootballTalk.com. But the Chargers got out of the basement even though they lost because they actually tried. And they gave the Bills a game. And there was a moment where I felt like the Chargers were going to win. So kudos to Giff Smith and company for not completely giving up and surrendering on the 23rd in that night game on Peacock. They get a bump up to 29. Not that that gets them anything they would want. A lot of bad teams but still teams that could – who knows? Who knows? But look, look at that. Is there any team on that page that that says to you they could somehow make the playoffs and get hot when they get there? I don't see one. 
Um, yeah, I don't see one either. I, I, yeah, there, there's nobody there um, that I look at to go, oh, watch out, or that could be scary. You know, uh, the Falcons could be a pain in the butt if I had to pick a team, you know, with their defense and their running game, and if they can just get a little something out of their passing game, they'd be annoying for playoff football. But, yeah, for that group right there, uh, there's nobody that scares me. In fact, when I look at your list from 17 to 24, I mean, I don't know. Am I crazy to look at that group right there? And I go, the team that's the best and the scariest right there is the team that definitely won't make the playoffs at 22 is the Bears. The Bears are playing high-level football right now and showing you that, hey, stick with this group right here. Stick with Justin Fields and Eberflus and Ryan Poles, and now they got all these picks and money to play with next year. Watch out. They have really set it up to where they, I at least see the future and the talent of that team. But, uh, yeah, to your point, Mike, there's not a lot of scary teams on this graphic. Oh, and by the way, by the way, one last point oh, before yeah, we go. Oh, yeah, what? If the Chiefs, if the, if the Chiefs happen to lose to the – I'm not – I, I, I didn't mean to imply I was going to take a shot at you. I had I some bone to pick. <laughs> I just want to – I want to make this point. If the Chiefs lose to the Bengals in that 425 p.m. Eastern slot yeah. on New Year's Eve – and then the Chargers the following week, and the Raiders win their last two games. The Raiders win the division. Isn't that crazy? The Raiders are the AFC West champions. The one team we would have thought had no chance to win that division could still win it. Chiefs lose the last two. Raiders win the last two. Raiders are the AFC West champions for 2023. All right, let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. I think so many times when we look at some of that stuff, it's self-inflicted problems, and, and that has to get cleaned up. Uh, that's communication. Uh, that might be having to reduce, you know, is there too much in? Um, but, look, right now we're, we're average to below average, I would say, in a lot of things offensively, and it's not good enough. You know, that's kind of ominous coming from Sean Payton, coach of the Broncos. He says we got some things to clean up offensively. They got two games left. You know, Chris, he wasn't asked this question. Russell Wilson was asked about it after they lost to the Patriots on Christmas Eve about his future with the Broncos. We can't forget the broader reality here. $37 million in 2025 base salary becomes fully guaranteed fifth day of the 2024 league year in March. They got a decision to make. And we were talking earlier about allocating a sources, a resources, excuse me, the right way so that you have a good backup quarterback. And, you know, you see a lot of backup quarterbacks pressed into service. And Russell Wilson's one of the few that has been wire to wire the starter. But these complaints from Peyton still this many games in, that's not a good sign for Russell Wilson having, you know, a productive and indefinite future as quarterback of the Broncos. If anything, I read between the tea leaves there to borrow one of your phrases, and I'm going to get 10 emails saying I just said a Simsism, but that's one of the things that Chris says and I say sometimes too. But when you read between the tea leaves there, at a minimum, they got a decision to make. And the way Peyton's talking, it sounds like the decision could be, I'm going to go get a different quarterback to do the things that need to be done by way of communication and making the offense better. When you say the offense isn't good enough with a guy who's supposedly a franchise quarterback, that is not a positive sign. Well, no, it's not a positive. I think he's, yeah, I think he's also probably putting himself in that conversation there. 
And there's, you know, some person personnel that I think needs to be fixed as well. I think it, it's a little of everything all together. And I think just knowing Sean Payton and, you know, knowing him a little bit, knowing how he coaches, the coaching tree he came from, right, Parcells, being with John Gruden, like making the quarterback feel warm and cozy right now, like, no, that, that's not going to happen when they're seven and eight. He's not going to let that happen. You know, he's going to, he wants Russell Wilson to finish the year out strong. He wants Russell Wilson to go probably into the offseason with a little bit of uneasiness about him to, so he can really work and grind and put Russell Wilson through the rigors to become a better football player next year. I, I think ultimately I would be shocked if they went another direction with Russell Wilson. I think he's done enough and he's played well enough with this football team. And again, we saw what it was last year. He certainly was better this year. It's not perfect. They don't have a great O line as we know. You know, they run the ball okay and they need more weaponry at wide receiver. But they're certainly not good enough like we saw the other night to hey we're up seven to three and we fumble on the 40 yard line when we throw a little swing pass to Javante Williams or we fumble a punt and drop the ball on our own six or seven yard line they're not good enough on offense like they were with Drew Brees and the Saints to overcome that type of stuff that's for sure and that's where there's certainly work or meat left on the bone for this Broncos offense still and the question Chris does it justify yeah fully guaranteeing his salary for 2025 and there's a middle ground here between saying we're just going to vest the $37 million and commit to you through 2025 and cutting the cord. The middle ground is let's rework this deal, not reshuffle numbers and reduce cap hits and kick the can. Real trimming of the total value of the contract and acknowledgement by Russell Wilson that it hasn't been good enough, that he isn't playing at the level that would justify guaranteeing his full salary for 2025, even if it's as simple as removing the term that fully guarantees the salary. Move it until 2025. Get rid of the vesting one year in advance of the $37 million salary. I don't know that Russell Wilson or his agent Mark Rogers would go along with that, but there is maybe a conversation to be had, and maybe some of this criticism is softening him up, or at least intended to soften him up, to be conducive to taking some sort of a of a restructured contract that makes it easier for the Broncos to go into 2024 as up or out with their hands not being tied for 2025. Again, I don't know that he agrees to that, but maybe that's what he gets offered before they would say, hey, you've given us no choice here but to move on from you because we can't guarantee your salary for 2025 until we see something better for 2024. Well, like where, where I'd push back against that is in a few ways. I mean, first off, you know, was Russell Wilson been perfect? No, we know that. And do, do I believe, and you watch film and think, yeah, you know, Sean Payton's still managing the offense and Russell Wilson a little bit here as we go. Sure. You know, but I didn't expect them to have like the full array of like Sean Payton, Drew Brees offense in yet at this year with Russell Wilson still learning the system and all that. I think when you look at the big picture of things, it's been a big time positive year. Sean Payton's been phenomenal. He's done some great things. You know, they were a, a beat down doggy out there in Denver. 
They they showed some fight, and of course they're still in this, and you know need some miracles. But Russell Wilson, he's the seventh rated quarterback in football, right? He's one of the league leaders in touchdown passes. So there are positives to look at there. And then I think what you're talking about to me, see the thing I would get scared of if you do that, it's just gonna make things seem a little more uneasy and dysfunctional there. And again, who are we going to replace him with that we think is definitely going to be better than Russell Wilson? So I would expect Sean Payton, and if I were Sean Payton, I would stick with what we got. There was a lot of positives this year. Let's see if we can make the team around him better, another year in the system better, another weapon at receiver, all of that. And I think you could have something working here. So I would stay the course of I'm Sean Payton. I'm sure he's not happy, but I think when he sits down at the end of the season and reevaluates it all, he'll look at it and go, eh, Russell did a lot of good stuff, and I'm not going to find a better option out there. And we're what we're paying him, it's a lot of money, but it's not like killer for this day and age right now. And I think it causes more problems to do what you're saying than, than it's worth, at least in my opinion, Mike. Causes short-term problems. Solves longer-term problems. I guess the question is, what has Peyton concluded based upon his time with Russell Wilson as to whether he can get to where he needs to be? Is there a ceiling he's bumping up against, or is there a way to unlock that and get more out of him next year? But when he uses phrases like self-inflicted problems, has to get cleaned up, focuses on communications, we might have to reduce, is there too much in? See, that's like, is it, can he handle this offense? Is he the guy to run this offense? Can he, can he get everything that I need him to do? We never heard him say things like that about Drew Brees. So only Sean Payton knows whether he thinks Russell Wilson with another year in the offense can become more like Drew Brees was. That's for Payton to decide. My point is this. They got $37 million that becomes fully guaranteed middle of March. We'll know by then whether or not they're willing to fully guarantee it, whether or not they move on, or whether they find a middle ground that gives them another year before they make their final decision and tie their hands financially. All right, we need to take a break. More PFT Live right after this. Listen, man, it, it, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen throughout the course of a season and an offseason and things like that. And I enjoyed my time while I was there and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am, that's for sure. Um, listen, there's there's 32 teams in the NFL. They're just another one of those teams. Um, I got a lot of got a lot of guys over there I really respect and had had an awesome few years with in that locker room. So a lot of respect for those guys. Joe Flacco, seasoned veteran, saying all the right thing about the Jets. The bottom line is, even though there are 32 total teams. He had a history with the Jets. They needed a quarterback. They didn't call. The Browns did, and the Browns are benefiting from it. And look at this. Comeback player of the year odds. Joe Flacco up to number two on the list. DeMar Hamlin still the favorite at minus 400. Not quite the favorite he once was. And I'm going to have a hard time voting for DeMar Hamlin given that he has not played much at all this year. We saw him on Saturday night playing in the game. Right. But you got, I mean, it, 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 he had an incredible comeback. It's incredible. Last year. Yes. Almost one year to the day from what happened to him on the field in Cincinnati. And he got cleared and he's on the team. But we've only seen him in a handful of games this year. And you've got Flacco playing like he is. Baker Mayfield, that's where I'd be inclined right now to put my vote on Baker Mayfield as comeback player of the year. It's not going to be easy, though, and we make no final decisions. As voters on these awards, we make no final decisions, Chris, until after the season ends. 
But there are some very viable candidates there, and Flacco making a late push to get comeback player of the year, even though he literally did not come back and play until late November, early December. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, I'm I'm with you. You know, the Demar Hamlin story is amazing, definitely, but we'll have a hard time you know, voting for somebody that really has played a handful of plays the whole year and say, oh, that's the comeback player of the year, right? Still an amazing story and, and, and certainly don't want to take credit away from that. But I, I tend to look at Baker Mayfield. I mean, come on. Nobody thought Baker Mayfield, most of the public in the NFL world, you know, there was a lot of them that didn't think Baker Mayfield should even be a starting quarterback, which I think we both agreed was was wrong, Right. Again, it's another one with like, let's look at the team and not blame just one guy for the whole crap of the team. Right. Oh, wait. Now he's on somewhat of a good team and he looks awesome. And they're playing through him. I mean, as we talked about a few weeks ago, you've brought it up. I mean, they got away from the run first attitude and they finally went, we can't run it. We're going to have to throw with Baker Mayfield. We got some receivers. Let's do it that way. And they flourished under that, you know, identity. So I, I'm, I'm certainly leaning Baker Mayfield in that category. Joe Flacco, Matthew Stafford, you know, they would be other guys I certainly would think about in that conversation. Mayfield, wire-to-wire starter, potential playoff team in Tampa Bay. He's played incredibly well, laying the foundation for a long-term deal there. Hamlin has appeared in five games this year with 17 defensive snaps. And, and what he did... And what he stands for and how he has taken his circumstance and turned it into something that saves lives with the awareness of the use of AEDs and the presence of those devices at sporting events. That's incredible. But it just – it's 17 snaps – May not be enough. Right. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no sweat same game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFT Live when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. More PFT Live right after this. How will you make your case to Mark Davis in terms of saying, I'm amazing? My resume is on the grass. I can put up a fancy presentation. I've seen that before. I can put up stats. I can put up my resume. Um, but the best thing that happened for me was the opportunity. And as like I said this maybe last week, you know, the worst day I was going to be as a head coach was my first day. And these days, my job, and, and I really take pride in growing each and every day to get better. No different than when I was a player to get better. And by the end, you know, you look at it, whatever your career was and whatever my coaching career is, that you sit there and say, look, yeah, that's what he was. And hopefully Mark Davis sees uh, improvement and growth within our team. He sees the style and play that he wants from the Raiders. He sees a fan base that's behind us. He sees a building that loves coming to work, that loves being here, and people that's covering the team, enjoying covering the team. And at the end of the day, we got to win. And right now, my record, our record is 4-3. and three. Antonio Pierce making his case to be the coach of the Raiders. I think it's a no-brainer. Now, look, I don't know what Mark Davis is going to do two years ago. I thought, and I don't know whether you agreed with me. I think you agreed with me. They yeah. should have given Rich Passaccia and Mike Mayock a chance to go forward. Definitely. They blew that. How could Davis? I mean, he's right back at the same freaking well two years later. An interim coach who's getting it done. And if he learned nothing from the last experience, it's that maybe the interim coach has done enough that he gets a clean slate, a full season 
where he gets to do it his way. If he's four and three when he's taking the reins from, you know, a, a, a horse that's crashing into the ravine, let him run the horse from the start. That's a horrible metaphor. But regardless, give him a chance from the get-go to be the coach and see what he can do. Yeah. You don't have to make a 10-year commitment. Right. Give him a year or two and see what he can do. Yeah, no, I mean, let him have an offseason to where he could frame the team the way he wants to, right? And add a little two cents to the type of players he wants on the football team and free agency in the draft. Uh, I, I certainly can, will get behind Antonio Pierce being brought back as the, the Raiders coach. I mean, one, yeah, he seems to embody the Raiders' attitude. It does seem like the fan base is behind him. The players have certainly been behind him. The play on the field is certainly justified. I mean, forget the four wins. You know, I, I don't know. The, you know, and in some ways, I look at the three losses and go, they're kind of impressive too. I mean, they were down in Miami, and what, what was the game? 14-13 in the third quarter, early fourth? I mean, it wasn't easy in Miami. You know, their other loss against the Chiefs, 31-17, you know, it was respectable. And the fact that they, you know, hung in there in that ugly Minnesota game. So there's a lot of good they things held there. They three points. I know. There's a lot. And we were just they talking about to start yeah, the they show. Scored zero. Well, but Kevin O'Connell, we've talked about, has moved the ball and get people open everywhere. And it's still they played and fought in the football game. So, yeah, well, uh, I, I could totally get behind that. I can't get behind what the hell you just said about a horse running into a ravine. and get, I don't even know yeah, what the hell you were talking about there. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I know. I don't know. I don't know either. All I know is this. Give the guy a chance from the start of the offseason to shape the team, build his staff, put his culture in place, and not have to do it on the fly. And he did it on the fly, and he's won more games than he's lost, and he still might win the division. Yeah. Surely if they, if they steal the division from the Chiefs, he gets the job. They went into Arrowhead Stadium on Christmas Day and beat the Chiefs. That should be enough for him to have the job. Hopefully Mark Davis does the smart thing here. We shall see. i got to do the smart thing and take a break. More PFT Library. If we run the horse in the ravine, then the ravine, and then we got to get a new horse. I meant something by that, but I don't know what the hell I meant. Kareem Jackson cut by the Broncos after his four-game suspension ended. He had a two-game suspension earlier in the year. Both came from a series of illegal hits. The Broncos had hoped to bring him back to the practice squad after he passed through waivers. The only thing that went wrong, and we talked about this earlier with Sebastian Joseph Day, every team gets a shot at him. He didn't clear waivers. The Texans, team that made him a first-round pick back in 2010, I believe. Is it 2010? Has it been that long? Kareem Jackson claimed on waivers by the Houston Texans. He's had an incredible career. He was awesome for the Texans. You know, he was great in his second life with the Denver Broncos playing safety, right? He was out of control with some of the aggressiveness in which he hit this year. But, hey, this makes a lot of sense. One, he fits the scheme. He does a lot of good things there, you know, as far as at the safety position. And they need it. I mean, they're banged up at the safety position. It's been, a, it's been a, a, an injury, you know, cycle all year there. And Jimmy Ward, right, they put him on IR. They needed somebody back there to, to help out with that defense, and he fits that quite, quite nicely. And his head coach was one of his teammates. In Houston. That's so crazy. D'Amico Ryan bringing crazy. back a friend and former teammate. We're done for the day. Have a great Wednesday. See, See you tomorrow.